welcome to the Sociology and Animals podcast series. In this program, we speak with folks specializing in the sociological study of animals and society in an effort to document and explore how research in our field is applied in the real lives and careers of sociologists. My name is Dr. Corey Wren. I'm currently chair of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association. But this podcast is coming to you from Canterbury, England, where I have been living since 2019 after accepting a position as lecturer in sociology with the University of Kent. Here in the UK, I am a member of the Animal Human Studies Group of the British Sociological Association, as well as the Vegan Society's Research Advisory Committee. In addition to teaching environmental politics, social movements, and animals and society at the University of Kent, I'm also co-director of the Center for the Study of Social and Political Movements and a member of the psychology department's Shark Lab, which stands for the Study of Human-Animal Relations at Kent. As you can see, I have had the great privilege to develop my career around various facets of animal studies, but it hasn't been easy. Our field is growing, but it is still small and doesn't always elicit support from colleagues, prospective employers, editors and reviewers, grant funders, and so on. My aim with this podcast is to challenge this institutional discrimination and provide some insider insights into making a career out of animal studies. Not that long ago, the idea of a career in animal studies would have seemed impossible, if not outlandish. Today, there are considerably more opportunities, but a lot of mystery and ignorance remains about how to go about pursuing and succeeding in this line of work. Especially with academia being so competitive and prestige-oriented, I think a lot of folks are hesitant to discuss the nuts and bolts of their career making. It is my aim that this podcast will serve as a sort of informal virtual mentorship for folks interested in learning more about the sociological pursuit of animal studies. So without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Corey. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. Tell, tell the folks who you are. Hi, I'm, I'm, well, I'm Richard York. I'm a professor of sociology and environmental studies at the University of Oregon, where I've been now for uh, 18 years. And my research focuses on environmental sociology, animal studies, and the sociology of science. Um, so why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about your research interests and maybe the story of how you came to uh, focus on animal stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm broadly interested in, in understanding kind of our modern environmental crisis, how humans drive, the, you know, have, have had this, we could say, a, a, an abusive relationship, perhaps, with other creatures. And, you know, we're facing all these problems like climate change, pollution, uh, destruction of ecosystems, biodiversity loss. So my own research has, has looked, I used to take a very kind of a macro scale. I'm interested in both kind of global, cross-national work. Um, also longer historical time, but a lot of my interest is in what characteristics of societies really can we see as driving or contributing to things like high levels of energy consumption, carbon dioxide emissions, uh, resource consumption of all type, deforestation. And a lot of my, um, particularly my early work, I, I do a lot of kind of quantitative modeling of, of what are the characteristics of nations that lead to these problems. And part of that, I'm also then interested in animal agriculture, and I'll say meat consumption. I'll put meat in quotes, right, referring to, to eating animals. Meat production is, of course, not only cruel and inhumane directly to the animals that are raised and slaughtered for it. It's one of the 
single biggest sources of driving other environmental problems. It's a hugely energy intensive, uh, very much a major part of what's responsible for um, greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation, huge share of the Earth's surface is used to graze cattle, for example, to produce for meat. Um, so I, I think in that sense, on that one, specific part of it, there's a very close relationship to understanding how humans see animals, how we interact with them, how we treat them, and much the bigger picture of environmental crises of all types. Uh, I also have been interested in how animals are, not human animals, are central parts of our society in many ways that are often invisible to us. So I've done some research on the history of whaling and the relationship of how the rise of fossil fuels actually accelerates the, the destruction of whales, kind of the opposite of the story of how it's often told, how um, there's a common misperception that the rise of fossil fuels saved the whales or, or ended whaling, but in fact it accelerates whaling, and that actually is a complicated story of characteristics of humans and whales and how that interacts. And just more broadly than theoretically, I'm interested in understanding how over time, huge numbers of features, the way societies are and how they've evolved historically is fundamentally about our relationships with other animals. So, you know, the emergence of agriculture and technology like plows and wheeled vehicles is, is centrally about human relationships with animals, particularly domesticating animals, exploiting their labor. Um, so I, in that way, I see a, a lot of features of societies as about an animals that we often don't recognize as animal issues. We think of them as technological or simply, uh, you know, kind of human decisions about e economics. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, so I think that it's all these things that you're saying, as someone who also is interested in these topics, I, for me, it's like so obvious, like so obvious that animals are such a key variable to all these major sociological issues. But here's where I'm gonna push you because I did my PhD training at Colorado State University and it was an environmental sociology program. So we were learning about all these things, climate change and agriculture, we did a lot of food stuff. And yet, very few people, in fact, I can't really remember anyone, I think one person was interested in bees, but mm -hmm. here you have all these sociologists who are specializing in, in these environmental issues, but they weren't bringing in the animal question. So what was it about animals that you said, ah, oh, I need, to, what, what was that turning point for you where you realized that was important to pay attention to? Yeah, I don't know if I can give a simple answer to that. I mean, I was probably early on, um, you know, maybe almost 30 years ago now, uh, when I started um, college as an undergraduate, you know, kind of like many people do at that time, had a lot of thinking about what's wrong with the world. That I, that's when I became a vegetarian and learned about the, the you know, the, the harm to animals and how that's all connected with, with environment. So before I even became a sociologist, I, and I, of course, I always, you know, I, I grew up in a family where we had animal companions, like many of us, right? And I have a lot of attachment to, to animals on an individual level. So I think before I was a sociologist, I was concerned about animals, animal rights. Um, and that's probably part of then coming into more formal training in sociology, thinking about the environment. It kind of evolved through that. And part of it is also reading some of the human ecology tradition, which I'm in, which does take, say, if we're gonna understand humans, we need to understand them in ecological context. And thinking explicitly, well, animals are part of what we typically lump into ecological context. So maybe we should think about them more specifically. 
So I couldn't say there was a turning point. It's probably more of a, you know, an agglomerating evolution. Yeah, I think for folks who do what we do, part of, part of what happens is that we use sociology to advance these topics, but then also we're coming into it with our own pre-existing kind of awareness. And so we end up pushing sociology back in a lot of ways. Um, but what do you think, so we're, you know, we're talking about how we're pushing, I mean, that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is I want us to really and have a more, more conversations about this. But what do you think, if thinking about sociology as a discipline, which has not necessarily been conducive to animal studies in the past, like what do you think that sociology can really offer us as far as under, understanding uh, animals in society? I mean, I think, you know, you make it, it's, it's kind of a tension. There is that sociology by its, its nature and its founding is kind of anthropocentric and in some ways is often historically been kind of human socio-culturally deterministic, that we look internal to human features and use them to explain things. And that's been a, 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 something we that study the environment and animals have challenged to say, we can't see societies and humans as somehow free-floating and disembedded. Um, but I think the strengths of sociology come from kind of the very nature that sociology is somewhat of a more broader thinking, dialectical or holistic vision of societies. You know, a central insight of sociology is you can't understand individual people in isolation. You have to understand the humans, we all exist in relation to others. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a, a natural step into thinking about, well, we don't just exist as individuals in relation to other humans, we exist in relation to all kinds of other creatures and, and also non, you know, inorganic things. We, we, we exist in broader worlds, there's broader webs and connections. So I think that is probably where sociology has a lot of insight compared to more, more kind of hyper-reductionist social sciences that don't recognize or focus on connections. And then I'd also just say fundamental to sociology is a concern about issues of power, um, exploitation. And so those, of course, can quite, quite easily be used to then think about how we interact with other creatures. Excellent. Yeah. Well, do you think that there's, well, this is an interesting question to ask you because you're really firmly in the environmental sociology sector of this, this um, literature and discourse and science, but what is going on in your neck of the woods that you would say is a really exciting development, sociologically speaking, with regards to uh, ecosystems, non-human animals, our relationships with those? Yeah. Um, I think part of what's, well, actually, I'd say it's more broadly. I think part of what's actually happened in the discipline more as a whole, you know, with our concern about, you know, just think about the recent issues of you know, Black Lives Matter, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, our, our terribly unequal and unjust social systems. That has also come in to affect a lot of environmental sociology to think about power and inequality, injustice in a much broader framework. And I think a lot of um, times environment was thought of as its own kind of uh, niche and not thinking of it richly interconnected with social injustices, that a lot of the factors that drive social injustice are intimately connected with how and why we're destroying the environment. So I think in sense, environmental sociology has had more of a increasing intersection infusing of environmental justice mm -hmm. thinking with 
uh, maybe human ecological thinking. And strangely, it was often the case that environmental justice was treated in its own separate box, instead of saying, well, actually, a lot of our dynamics of, of destroying the environment and harming other, other, other beings, other people, other animals, have, are not separate phenomenon. They're very closely related. Things like um, colonialism and the seizing of lands where other people lived was also part of exploiting and destroying those environments, exploiting, exploiting other creatures in those areas. So in that sense, I think that's been a good development in environmental sociology is to more explicitly bring in those connections of, of multidimensional injustices, power and struggles. Yeah, and there's so many juicy examples, like so many are coming to mind as you were, as you were talking, and, and maybe you can flesh some of those out, but one that, one that immediately comes to my mind is looking at the food system, and we're looking at, um, so for instance, when I used to do, when I did my PhD in Colorado, it was right down the road from Greeley, which is one of the largest sites for like feedlots and beef production, whatever else, and the smell was just atrocious, and of course the cost, like, so I was an hour north of Denver, an hour north of Boulder, in Fort Collins and the cost of living was quite high there, but just 45 minutes down the road, it was nothing because it was just a garbage place to live because it was so smelly and polluted. And who do you think would live there? But Native American folks, Latino folks, and a lot, like marginalized people in general. So I also have been paying attention to the, the news with regard to animals and COVID because slaughterhouses obviously have become like ground zero for a lot of this um, this kind of outbreak, this, this, the pandemic in general, but we know as environmental scholars, as animal scholars, that this is nothing new. It's just something that is a little bit more uh, rampant, I guess, because of the way COVID spread so quickly. Do you want to share a little bit more about maybe a specific example of this intersection? Well, I was thinking about actually that topic as you raised it. I mean, I think slaughterhouses are a prime example of the intersections of all these problems, right? Where, and it reflects the nature of I think in part capitalism, although it's not unique to capitalism, of two of the major corporate industries. You know, slaughterhouses are, workers are treated terribly, right? They're sites of COVID, now we know that, but workers there are dehumanized and treated as things that the kind of, you know, the people who own these slaughterhouses, the corporations are trying to just extract money from, right? And the animals, the non-human animals, are seen exactly the same way. And I think that highlights the kind of toxic nature of capitalism, where all living beings, human and non-human, are really just things to be used to make more profits. And I think when you look at it that way, we can really see how, when we talk about addressing our environmental crisis, uh, cruelty to animals and the gross social injustices that dominate the world, we have to recognize that those are connected in many ways. And I've also noticed that you have this kind of capitalist critique in what, you're, what you've been speaking about. And I think that is something that's a little bit unique to sociology as well. So, so when I'm tuned into critical animal studies, it tends to have a few folks who understand that, but in the larger social sciences arena, there's not necessarily this understanding of what our economy is actually doing to shape our ideologies and our structures and our institutions. And when I'm listening to you, I'm hearing a lot of David Nybert in you as well. Like he takes a lot of this perspective and he's actually going to be, I think, if I can persuade him, I guess, later on. Um, but 
aside from David Nybert and like, listening to all this juicy stuff you've got going on with cap issues about capitalism, intersectionality, environmental justice, if you could recommend maybe a reading or theorist that you think listeners who might not be so um, in tune with these concepts might check out? Yeah, you know, um, I would say, so the, I'm kind of interested in the eco-Marxist tradition and, and one of the, the people I just think off the top of my head is, is a former student of mine, Hannah Holloman, um, who has looked at how the emergence of settler colonialism was this process that drove destruction of ecosystems around the world. And in, in one example, she specifically focuses on the Dust Bowl, how we often explain the Dust Bowl in America as a, a particularistic phenomenon that happened in America to our policies. Um, and so in a sense is idiosyncratic, but does this tracing how all around the world where you get settler colonialism, the whole nature of settler colonialism is to disrupt and destroy previously existing ecological relations. Mm. And you actually find that all around the world in the settler colonialism era, um, there's regular recurrences of land degradation, uh, dust bowlification, that go along with the dispossession of indigenous peoples of their lands and that lead to this kind of escalating uh, ecological social crisis. So I would actually say Hannah Holloman then would be, I think would be a, a theorist that I think a lot of people who wouldn't, in animal studies wouldn't be familiar with, but might find her work very, um, very useful, even though she doesn't primarily engage explicitly with animals. I think it's highly relevant to thinking about how our modern world came about based on exploitive relations. Oh, see, that's the kind of grand narrative stuff that really fascinates me. And I think will definitely jazz a lot of students who are new to thinking about these things, because in classical sociology, we might not get that environmental perspective. I think that you and I might be in a bit of a bubble because we are so fortunate to come from these environmental programs and be involved in these environmental programs. But I see now that I'm at the University of Kent, there's no environmental, <laughs> the anthropology department is really where all the, the environmental stuff goes on. I'm just kind of the lone soul over in sociology. So I think it's really, it's really, really important to bring that into the animal focus as well. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, for those who aren't aware, if you're not a member or you're thinking about being a member, we have a lot of overlap with the environmental section of the ASA. A lot of our members are also members of the environmental group. Um, so I think that might actually, and we talked about this, this might actually be one of the venues to bring our, our own section into the limelight a little bit because environmental sociology, it had, its, it had its troubles, but it's now starting to get the attention that it needs. I mean, we can't look away from climate change. We've been kind of sociology tends to be that kind of discipline where it, it doesn't necessarily lead, it kind of follows, like, oh, where are all the people? Where are people looking at? Where are people thinking about? Oh, okay, let's go there then, and not necessarily meeting the challenges ahead of time. Um, but for those folks who are listening, and they're really fascinated by this, this, this ecosystem approach, talking about animals and society from an environmental perspective, or really just interested in animals or environment in general, which are sort of, they're definitely minority fields within our, um, discipline. What kind of advice would you have for someone who's interested in, in kind of taking the route that we've taken or just wants, not even staying in academia, just wants to get a degree in this and do something with it? Um, well, I think, you know, there's many good routes one can take. I think, I mean, as a starting point, I think is to, 
and this is to everyone, I think, when they come in, is don't lose track of the deep ethical commitment that mm. we should have in our lives to addressing injustices and harm. And I think that's one step. But I just say that, and I think it's easy to get caught up in professional advancement. We all need to, you know, I think my students, I want them all to graduate. I want them to get jobs. And there's very practical elements that one has to consider. Um, but also never lose track of these issues of, of injustice, of cruelty to animals, of the destruction of the environment. They deeply matter. And they aren't just um, intellectual challenges. Then in a more banal, I'd say professional recommendation, I'd say probably thinking more here to young scholars who want to study animals. I think it's to recognize you have to, we have to explain to people why this matters. It's, you know, those of us typically who study animals have a kind of a personal concern or commitment to, to animals. Many people in the world don't. And I think that's our challenge to say, even if you don't per se have a personal ethical commitment to animals, you have to recognize that societies are fundamentally intertwined with all the other creatures on this earth. And we have to explain that to make the animal studies relevant to people who even don't per se care about animals. And I think that's some of the, and there's many dimensions to that. That's some of the efforts at showing um, interconnections between injustice to other people and injustice to animals. Some of it, like I said, my own work is thinking about if you're interested in energy and technology, those are very much about our relations to animals. So in a sense, it speaks to people where they are to help them lead into why animal studies is important. Didn't and recently, sorry, didn't you recently publish a paper that was kind of speaking to sociology and saying, hey, <laughs> you're missing this, in, this key variable here? Yeah, no, and that's a lot of my theme is, is actually that some ways, right, it's, it's not saying, oh, you should care about animals in their own terms, which I think you should. It's saying, I recognize people don't, and let's tell them, even if you don't, if you don't take animals into account, you are misunderstanding what is happening. And I, that's kind of the route. So it's a sense, don't. We shouldn't self-marginalize. We shouldn't accept I think animals in society and sociology is a small section. And it's seen, I think, often as a kind of a niche. But let's remember, it's not some idiosyncratic little niche. It's fundamental to all aspects of society. And we need to show that to people to make it clear that if you want to study the world, you need to think about these things, not just as some little curiosity in some periphery of the discipline. Absolutely. And just for a little context, um, when I moved to the UK, I became a member of the animal study group at the, with the British Sociological Association. And they're not, they don't really, at the, at the time of this recording, they don't really do very much. But then my colleagues are really interested because uh, of my work with the ASA section. And they ask, oh, how many people are in this? Oh, at the time it was 140 members and they were, their jaws dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, well, America's a much bigger country, but they were still like, to have 140 members, they were just astonished by that. So we do have to put it in a bit of perspective. Yeah, we might be a small group compared to some of the larger ones in the ASA, but compared to elsewhere in the world, we are really a, a leader. We are leaders. We have a very powerful group compared to elsewhere. Yeah. 
So maybe I think, yeah, that's a lot of stuff for folks to chew on. Um, so Richard, thanks very much for popping in and, and doing this with me. Some, some of the things you said, like, gosh, for a while there, I had a tear well into my eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's important that we do this stuff, you know, and I, we shouldn't lose sight of that. So where can folks find you and more about your work? Um, so I think, I think probably the easiest way is just to type me and type Richard York into Google and you could find me on my University of Oregon website. Okay. So you don't do any like social media? I don't. I'm kind of a Luddite. I have to say I, I generally, I, I don't Facebook, I don't Twitter. Um, I, I try and hide out in the 20th century. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I can understand the value on that sometimes. Thanks for listening to Sociology and Animals. I hope you found it helpful and informative. If you want to learn more about the sociological study of society and animals, you can check out the website of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association or my own website at corylevrin.com. You can also check out the International Association for Vegan Sociologists, and the website for that is vegansociology.com. Feedback and suggestions can be submitted to myself at coreyren at gmail.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y dot W-R-E-N-N at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to share this series with others. The music for this podcast was provided by Ode to Sleep, a band local to where I live here in East Kent, England. Ode to Sleep explores various topics with their music, including human and animal rights, environmental issues, equality, and mental health. Their debut EP will be released in September 2020 through Is No I N Team Records. Their single featured here is called Captive Audience and is available now on all streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Dr. Corey Wren signing off. All the best.